Welcome to Luxury News Weekly, your number one source for luxury news. I'm your host, Simba Wakatama. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Solaru. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an exciting episode of Luxury News Weekly. We have a very diverse number of stories from Valentino to Chanel to Supercars to Michael Jordan. What's going on here? Let's just get into it. Our first story for today is Valentino. They're unveiling a vintage project is what they call it. Essentially, what they're doing is allowing Valentino customers to resell their used product back to Valentino for store credit. Elizabeth, have you taken a look at this? Oh, absolutely. I think this is a very, very smart move on the part of Valentino. I love, first of all, the way they branded this project. They call it Valentino Vintage. And they have launched a dedicated section on their website where owners of vintage items can liaise with the four international boutiques involved in the project. They are located in Milan, New York, Los Angeles, and in Tokyo. And there are specific boutiques that they are using for this. I love that Valentino has entered the market so they can protect their brand protect their provenance, and protect their customers as well. Although we know that deep down, it's all to do with money. It's about making money from the resale market, which is seeing a massive boom in recent times. However, I think this is a very, very smart move for Valentino. What do you think? Well, we've discussed this and we saw it coming on Clubhouse many, many, many months ago, and no company was able to do this successfully. So before I give my take, let me just kind of describe the process that they're expecting to go through. So first, they're going to have a phase one, where essentially for this year, the end of this year, they're going to be collecting items and assessing them. So essentially, if you own Valentino, you want to resell it, you take a picture, you send it to them, and then they will evaluate it. If they decide that it's worth selling, then you can bring it into the store and they will give you an actual um, estimate of what they're, well, it's an offer really, of what they're going to buy it for. And then later in next year, early next year, they go into their second phase and their second phase is where they're actually going to start like listing these items. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to be listing the items or where. But um, it is going to be, I think, probably online and offline. Now, you get in exchange that value that they offered you in store credit. You can then use that at participating stores like we had mentioned before. And the whole life cycle stays within the brand. Now, what I think about this is they're realizing that their products can sell twice and they can make twice the money on one product of which they have many, and they're kind of unlocking the value of a lifetime of business. It's kind of like starting a new company without having to buy uh, inventory again, right? You've got how many years uh, from the 70s all the way to, to now, right, of stuff that you can resell for, of course, for profit. And it's just unlocked if they execute this well. This is a very, very smart decision. I absolutely agree. And if you look at brands that do this pretty successfully, 
recently, brands like Hermes, Chanel, they've absolutely about to make a killing or they're already making a killing because a lot of their fans are really, really devoted to the brand. And Valentino can actually use this as a way of extending their brand, as a way of pushing their brand onto the next generation because Valentino is an established brand, but I suspect that they might have a generational gap issue because Valentino is quite popular, I would suspect, amongst the older clients who love its exclusiveness, who love designs, who love what it stands for. But I'm not sure that they communicated that pretty accurately to the next generation. So this is a good way of involving your Gen Zs, your millennials, who are into recycling, sustainability, etc. And I also think certain items might pop up that it would be great for them to have in their archives anyway, because we know that lots of brands, they do archive in. So be very interested to see how Valentino handles that side of things, the archiving. That's very true. And another thing I just kind of thought of is, of course, they're going to label this as sustainability. But I was thinking, well, these are going to be cheaper items, right? Like just inherently because they're used. Not necessarily. I, I, I disagree on that. Not necessarily. It depends on a number of things. So the rarity, the designer, if it's a designer, say, who may have retired, passed on, etc. If only maybe one or two pieces were made. Again, I think there are a number of factors involved. So I wouldn't necessarily say it would be cheaper because sometimes with Hermes, some of their older vintage handbags, actually the resale value is actually a lot more than if you bought new for some of their older models where only a few were made. So the very same thing might apply to Valentino. Uh, yes, and I, I agree with you. But at the scale that they're doing this, not everything they're, they're going to be reselling can be rare for them to make money. But at the same time, I realized that, okay, this is a great way to control the resale price and protect the brand long term. Because if the best place to get used Valentino is Valentino itself, they control the prices in the market. So whereas Hermes doesn't actually really control the resale value, it's based on a lot of uh, key players outside. And they try to kind of collaborate with certain key players that, that control the resale price of these bags, right? You buy an Hermes for 20,000, it goes for 70,000. They, Hermes didn't have anything to do with that, um, you know, as much as Valentino will now have direct control, like oil prices. They just say it's going up today, it's going down tomorrow, and it's a, quite an extreme level of control there. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. The control bit, that's why it's very, very smart of them. I completely agree with that. A bit like, you know, the diamond industry, as we all know, that the prices are carefully and tightly controlled. So it doesn't matter with a diamond, whether you're buying new or, or, or secondhand or whatever, the value is the value. So for me, I think Valentino Vintage potentially could be a winner for them. Absolutely. Now, speaking of losing control, it seems like Harrods is uh, kind of slipping. So of course, the pandemic hit a lot of retail companies hard and especially department stores because the rents are astronomical and now you're not getting um, foot traffic that you rely on. So 
Uh, Harrods was uh, 68 million pounds in the red uh, because of this uh, pandemic loss. They were not able to actually give out their usual dividends. And uh, they said they won't be able to pay another dividend for about two more years. And they've, of course, had to cut staff. They cut about 145 staff. Uh, and so all this kind of worked out into staff being overworked as now we get out of the pandemic and they want to strike for higher wages because right now they're making nine uh, pounds an hour and they want at least a minimum of 12. So this is like, we can't afford to pay, but we need you to work and we've got less of you and you want more money. That's the summary of this. What do you think, Elizabeth? I think your summary is pretty accurate. However, the whole world and his mother knows about Brexit, how we shot ourselves in the foot by getting rid of a number of people who probably came from other parts of Europe, who came to the UK to work, to learn English, to improve their English, etc. And we told them to go back to where they came from, and they certainly did that. And now we're left with jobs that many Brits do not want to do or jobs that many Brits have traditionally never had to think about doing. So that was a massive, messy situation in itself. Then we had the pandemic, how the government handled the lockdowns by instituting them too little, too late, by, I mean, the rules were just so crazy. So we had that as well. Obviously, a lot of tourists stayed away and Harrods derives a lot of its sales from tourism. But that's not the only problem that Harrods has. So for example, the chief exec was saying last week that some of their baskets, so Harrods is very famous for their hampers, a lot of their baskets are actually stuck in a port in Tilbury in Essex in the UK due to paperwork. And Brexit has meant that paperwork is now costing them an additional £1.5 million a year so far. Then you have other situations that they've been battling and fighting with. So right now is a really, really horrible time for many retail companies in the UK. And I believe that many of them should really, really push harder with the government because the least the government can do is at least try to compensate them in one way or another. Because the government was, again, it might be sounding too harsh, but the government has been quite negligent in the way it's looked after the interests of the very companies that made London, for example, some of the cultural hotspots of the world. So I do not see this situation improving. The people do have a right to strike, especially if the wages are on the low side, which I believe they have been. And I don't know how they're going to get out of this situation, to be honest. Yeah, it's not looking good. They're probably going to just raise more capital, uh, increase debt to get out of this situation. But, you know, that's just pushing things uh, further into the future. They definitely cannot afford uh, for the, the little stuff that they have left to end up striking. So ugh, it's not looking good. It is not looking good. No, it isn't. And uh, the bit you mentioned about money, very, very, you're absolutely spot on because right now they've extended the terms of a 620 million loan and a 200 million 
£1,000 credit facility repayable in April next year by 18 months. So yes, people are lending them money. However, 18 months from next year, they will have to repay it. So they need to come up pretty quickly with a strategy in terms of how they're going to make more sales because they need to make more sales. They need to really push those sales, whether they like it or not. So they need to retain that staff and they can't afford a strike. So who knows what's going to happen, but we will definitely, definitely be watching this space. For sure. And, you know, the pandemic hit everybody, but some brands just found a way to increase their perceived value. And one of those brands who's notorious for doing this is Chanel. Now, how do they do it? They hike up the prices of their items just randomly. Um, well, definitely strategically, but it seems random uh, to most people. Now, Chanel is no stranger of doing this. Every time it looks like there's going to be some world crisis or there's going to be too much product on the market, they hike up their prices. So now they've hiked up the price of their handbags just because we're running up into Christmas and the holiday season means spending, 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 right? So all their bags have been increasing. In fact, during the pandemic, they've increased their bag prices several times. So for instance, a small classic handbag has gone up 16%. So about uh, to $8,400 on average. And other things they've done is they've kept their profit margins very consistent, even though they dropped 17% uh, in, in terms of sales because of the pandemic. So they actually end up being one of the most profitable companies in the sector because of hiking prices. And every time they hike a price, guess what? Demand increases. So that's what we call a plebeian good at its finest. I'm going to um, pour a little sand into the situation because I, as you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of Chanel. It's my favorite luxury brand in the world. Absolutely love it. It's an emotion that I can't explain. Having said that, I am not oblivious or blind to some of the things that's been happening recently. I think Chanel could be sitting, especially when it comes to their handbags, it could be sitting on a time on a time bomb. And that's because many people that buy their handbags have been complaining bitterly online. They've been complaining that the prices are kind of almost the same as Hermes, but Chanel handbags are actually machine stitched. Sometimes you buy a handbag and there's a thread hanging from it. Also, another bit of complaint is that the hardware on the handbag, so you know the gold bits, the silver bits? Yes, I've heard this complaint. It's, exactly. It's, I've, I've witnessed it with exactly. my own eyes. Exactly. So they use, you know, the, the hardware used to be 18 karat gold plated. It is not now. Also, when you buy the handbag in the old days, you could lift it, you'd feel the weight. So you can tell the quality of the leather, the stitching, etc. Not anymore. It feels light. It feels flimsy. And especially with around with the 2.55, with the gold chain, some of the models, the padlock actually literally falls off. And I've actually heard reports of the two Cs actually falling off as well. So there are many people out there who are actually saying, you know what, 
I will only buy Chanel bags that were made pre, maybe pre-2010. I will not buy a Chanel bag. I would rather save up more money and go MS. So there are many people doing that right now. And another thing that people do is when they get their Chanel handbag, they compare it to what they had before or they compare it to their friends. And even little things like the, the, the stamp not being in the right place. There are so many things because when you spend that much money on buying an item that you've, that you absolutely have been dreaming about, you are going to look over every inch of it. So Chanel, you have to. Yeah. exactly. So Chanel, I am begging you right now, do better. Hike your prices. I know you hike your prices two or three times a year. That's expected. Sometimes people don't even mind. But what people are not loving at the moment is that the quality has been declining year on year. And from my little research, the decline I can pinpoint to around, around 2015, 2016. So about five years ago. So we are begging you right now, do better. Yes, Chanel, do better. Because it's true. Apparently, they used to use a alloy containing gold first, which means it's a lot of gold in there. It was enough to be gold stamped, right? Which means there is a lot of gold. You can sell, you can sell the CC in exchange for goods and services. Then they just plated it with brass. And now who, who knows, right? Who knows? I'm sure the cheaper models are just, um, you know, painted at this point. So unacceptable. Chanel, we love the brand, but you know, fix it up, get it together. <laughs> Even some of some people that buy their jewelry, which is costume, and they spend a lot of money buying that jewelry, they've been complaining as well. And it's definitely not the same. So if it was just handbags, fair enough. But if it goes across to jewelry and other items, not good enough, Chanel not good enough oh yeah the the gems from the cc studs are notorious for falling out they say if you get the chanel studs never get them with the with the uh crystals or the diamonds in them they'll fall out um wow. and I've, I've seen it yeah it does you know at the lower end chanel is amazing at the higher end they put all their effort into it but at the entry level they pay no attention to detail or quality. It's actually uh, quite um, ridiculous because it's a it's a really great brand. And I'm hoping someone will come in and fix it. And this is a great time to do post-pandemic. We are interrupting this episode to tell you a little bit about the people behind Luxury News Weekly. I'm your host, Simbo Wakatama, the founder and CEO of Volo Bespoke. We personalize jewelry storage for the jewelry you wear. Find me on Instagram or LinkedIn at Simba Wakatama. I'm Elizabeth Solaru, founder and CEO of Luxury Business Emporium and Elizabeth's Cake Emporium. You can find me on LinkedIn as Elizabeth Solaru or on Instagram as Luxury Business Emporium. Now, speaking of long-standing brands, Michael Jordan has just become the highest paid athlete ever with a whopping $2.62 billion in career earnings. Now, that's madness. 
I wouldn't say so, actually. I think he's worth every penny because let's, th- let's think about this. He obviously started as a rookie. We know what he did for the brand Nike. We spoke about it in our last podcast. So if you want to know the story of how he came to work with Nike, it's in our last podcast. For me, it's about, number one, he delivered for his team. He delivered for the sponsors. He delivered for the advertisers. And he delivered for sports. So as far as I'm concerned, 2.6 billion is hardly anything, to be honest. He could easily have earned about 10 billion. And also, let's think about it. Even the sneakers that he wore when he um, played his first game, et cetera, et cetera, all those sneakers have a very, very high resale value. So we're talking about someone who single-handedly almost changed the face of a brand like Nike. I mean, Nike is a multi-billion, billion, billion dollar brand in no small part due to him. So he's a, he's a, he's a moneymaker. He, he's a rainmaker as far as I'm concerned. And um, I believe he deserves every penny that he's earned. And you know what's very interesting about this, which is essentially telling of our current, um, say, celebrity athlete culture. He barely made any of that money from actually playing basketball. It's all from outside investment, endorsement, etc. So the name of the game is build a brand, right? Build a strong brand and then leverage that brand to then keep your uh, wealth long term. Because we know a lot of athletes, as soon as they're out of the league, they're a lot broker than when they came in. <laughs> right? Oh, absolutely. It's about, and that. this is uh, why I keep saying when you have a talented athlete or anybody really, financial literacy, we've all made those mistakes. Everybody right now, for the most part, that is why you win the lottery today and in a year's time, 10 years time, you're broker than before because many people do not factor in a lot of things. But people who, who are maybe born into wealth or even maybe not just born into wealth, but who've made their money. So people like Jeff Bezos, for example, he has an army of financial advisors, lawyers, accountants, forensic accountants, business managers, people around him that help him protect his wealth. But for many people, it's the spend, spend, spend mentality without thinking, can I afford this? And one of my favorite stories, um, to slightly deviate, is um, about Eminem. Eminem is still rich, rich. He's not the typical rapper that blew his money. He's still rich, rich. And that's because one time, I think he saw a Rolex or something, and it was something he really, really wanted to buy. And he called one of his managers and he said, can I afford this? This is someone who sold at that time, probably millions, maybe 10 million records or something. And he's still, exactly. So his mentality wasn't spend, spend, spend. He had a Casio. I think he had a Casio watch, which was fine, which he was happy with. And that is the whole point. So I'm very happy that Michael Jordan was able to use the endorsements, the licensing and the memorabilia earnings to make his money and create generational wealth. That is so true. And touch the hearts and minds of everyone who wants to be great. I think that's really what drives his uh, his sales, you know, for, for whatever he's involved in. Exactly. And the fact that his relationship with Nike is 37 years old. 37 years old. So there's something there 
around loyalty. But then Nike, on the other hand, they also recognize that loyalty because another brand, you know, his favorite brand is actually Adidas. So they could have lured him away, but he stayed loyal and true to Nike and they in turn rewarded him. So there's something about reciprocity here. A hundred percent. You have to stay loyal to the people that are making your money. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah. Absolutely. So now a highly anticipated car is coming to production now. And this is my favorite car brand for whoever wants to, I don't know, maybe gift me a car. Uh, <laughs> Austin Martin, okay, the Valkyrie is finally in production. Now, let me get straight to the numbers here. Because I know you're asking, well, what is the Valkyrie? And if you know what the Valkyrie is, how much does it cost? So this is a hybrid supercar, okay? It's basically a Formula One racer turned into a car that you can now own. And it's a it's made with a carbon fiber body, handmade by the Austin Martin team in their factory in England. And it is just beautiful to look at. And like I said, it's a hybrid. So it's, it's quite a strange um, combination, but essentially you've got the gas engine, which will provide about a thousand horsepower. And then you've got the electric motor, which will provide an extra 160 horsepower. And this will set you back, uh, you know, just a small, you know, three and a quarter million dollars. You know, what's, what's three and a quarter million dollars between friends, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my days. Yes, I know the car is super expensive to me. It looks like a Batmobile. It really looks like a Batmobile. But I have to admit, it's a thing of beauty. Even when you're looking at images of the guts of it, it's beautiful. It's really beautifully made, handcrafted, handmade, and of course, tested to the nth degree. I think, for me, this is a double thumbs up. I think it will definitely be a bestseller for those who can afford it. And obviously, they will not start producing until they, they've had that, those deposits or those payments. So do you know how many they're going to produce in this run by any chance? I believe that this is only going to be limited to about 150 uh, units. Right. Wow. Wow. So that means there are 150 people at least <laughs> who've actually paid their money to get one of to get their hands on one of these cars. That's absolutely fantastic. And also it's fantastic for the UK because right now, you know, we, we just spoke about Harrods, etc. So right now, this is really, really great news for the UK because anything that we can do to improve the outlook of our economy. I would take. So very, very proud moment for Aston Martin. Huge congrats to Aston Martin and their amazing team. And we definitely look forward to seeing, hopefully, one of these cars on our streets sometime soon. Well, I doubt it's street legal. <laughs> really? I highly doubt it's street legal. Um, would have to look into that. Okay, my final thought on this, you, you gave it two thumbs up. I give it one thumb up. 
And this is why. This is why. It looks too similar to the Huayra by Pagani. If you ah. search Pagani Huayra, this looks the same. And it's still beautiful, though. Right? Um, but it's kind of like how um, Genesis... Um, had the same look of the Austin Martin. So I had to be like, okay, I don't, I, I can't give you full credit if you have the same grill, the same look, and you clearly, maybe it's an homage. Maybe it's just because the designers uh, uh, had some, or were, might have been the same or had similar style. Sure. But I cannot give them uh, two thumbs up for creativity uh, because of the final look looking like. Another car, another very popular supercar. I see, because to someone like me, the uninitiated, I just, this is the first time I'll see a car like this. So to me, it's just beautiful. I see what you mean. There are similarities, especially around the front. However, I think there are enough differences for this to be a unique design. So I'm still going to, yeah. Two thumbs up for me. Plus, it's British, so there. You can't take that away from me. One and a half thumbs, I'll give it. <laughs> <laughs> just a just a nod to Austin Martin, and that's just my biased opinion. Is the half thumb? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. These have been your top stories for Luxury News Weekly. As always, you can catch us every week on your favorite audio platform, and. Don't forget to follow us on our social medias. The link is in the show notes. These have been your top stories for Luxury News Weekly this week. First, Valentino unveils a vintage Valentino project, which is a buyback project. You can sell your used Valentino products back to them and they will give you store credit in return. Then Harrods is 68 million pounds in the red after the pandemic shortcomings. And a lot of their staff and their restaurant staff are looking to strike for higher wages, but they're in a bit of a pickle because they don't really have a lot of money right now. Then Chanel hikes their handbag prices again. Also. Michael Jordan is the highest paid athlete of all time with a whopping total of $2.62 billion in total career earnings, of which only a small percentage came from his playing basketball. And lastly, Austin Martin finally has their Valkyrie supercar on production. Only 150 will be made and it'll run you a total of three and a quarter million dollars. These have been your top stories for this week.